Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshop.net. Episode 18. Ensure that classes for children with autism are properly supported. There are nearly 1,000 special classes for children with uh, autism spectrum disorders in Ireland. Most schools have at least two of these classes and most of them are given a clinical term, a unit. Even though lots of schools spend huge amounts of time thinking of a less sterile name for their classes, everything from special classes to flowery names like the orchard or the wood or the meadow, shaking off the term unit seems to be something that is extremely difficult. But if only that was the biggest issue with classes for children with autism. In this episode, I'll be going through some of the things I have learned since opening special classes in my own school. I hope I'll be able to shed some light on the reality of these classes, and while I'd encourage any principal to absolutely go for it, I think it's important that they do it with their eyes wide open, because ultimately there are loads of things to consider. The main one being the topic of this episode, which is, if I were the Minister for Education, I would ensure that classes for children with ASD are properly supported. Most people know there's been a large rise in the number of cases of people diagnosed with autism in the last number of years. Nobody quite knows why right now, but theories run from better assessments to wider criteria, uh, from fewer cases of infant mortality to the more bizarre anti-fax brigade theorists, which I'm not going to go into. Whatever the reason, if you're a teacher right now, it is now highly, highly unlikely to be teaching in a school where there isn't a child presenting with autism. However, the mainstream classroom can be a challenge for many children with autism and to help with this, special classes for children with autism can be very helpful. The classes have a smaller pupil-teacher ratio, um, 6 to 1 for those of you who aren't in the know, and there's always going to be two SNAs. This hasn't changed at all since their formation back in the 1990s. Um, And the original purpose though of these classes actually was for to give children with autism an opportunity to integrate into their mainstream equivalent class um, with a kind of a view to fully integrating into that mainstream class within a couple of years. Now, because every case of autism is different from the very, very mild to the very, very severe to profound, this can be very difficult to achieve. Children on the milder end of the spectrum would obviously have more of a chance to fully integrate into their mainstream class, whereas pupils on the more severe end of the spectrum would find it almost impossible to integrate fully. The trouble with the special classes um, model is that enrolment doesn't differentiate between children on the milder end of the spectrum from those on the more severe end of the spectrum and everyone in between. So, for example, you could have two schools up the road from each other with special classes, one of them would ha- might have six children with uh, very, very mild autism, and the other class up the road might have one with uh, six uh, children with profound autism, but both of them would receive exactly the same resourcing. So what you find then is any child with any diagnosis of autism would be would have originally, in the original days, would have been able to enrol in any uh, autism-specific class even if it might not have been the best fit. Now, what I'll come to uh, is that uh, is I'll come back to that later, basically. Um, what I want to start off with, however, is 
what should a school really consider? Because I want this episode to be more helpful than really giving out about things. I, I kind of think in this particular episode, I, it's given that I've uh, had uh, a special class, or two special classes for children with autism, and I've had um, a, a special classes for over a decade at this stage, I feel I've learned one or two things over the time. So I suppose what I'd like to do is give advice uh, to schools who might be considering opening special classes for children with autism. I want to give the highs and the, and the, and there's no lows particularly, but the pitfalls, which aren't really school's fault. And I just want to make sure what, uh, what I give out there will be honest advice rather than maybe what might be sold to you by outside um, agencies. What resources do schools actually get and are they enough? Now, as you can imagine, the answer to that question is absolutely not. You don't ever get enough. However, given that the Department of Education have just given powers to the CNO in the last couple of years to force schools to open ASD classes, whether or not they want to do so, it's very possible that schools may end up not being able to choose to open a class, but rather than that, they're being forced to open one. So let's focus on the, on the schools that may choose to open a, um, a special class for children with autism, which of course is much more sensible than it being foisted upon them. We'll start with the most important thing of all, which is the space, the building itself. Now, my advice, for what it's worth, is not to allow an ASD class set foot in your school without a written commitment from the Department of Education that a specialised full facility is built within a year of starting those classes. I would not attempt to even wing it for a few years and hope that the Department of Education finally gets to giving you a building. Once you have opened, the department will not care where what the building looks like. They only care about getting bums on seats. They don't care what the seats look like. They don't care where the seats are. So you need to make sure that if you agree to open a class for children with autism, that you have a commitment in writing from the department that you will have the required space, proper space, proper facilities, uh, So uh, because otherwise, you won't get them. Even if you have one or two spare classrooms in your building because of dwindling numbers or whatever it might be, or even if you've been promised prefabs by someone by someone in the department, the only answer you need to have when the department come to you is, not unless I have written commitment that the building will be in place within a year. And unless that happens, it has to be a no. It'll be your absolute minimum requirement is to have the required building for uh, to, to be and the required classrooms. A special class can't be like a regular typical classroom. It needs to be much larger than a regular classroom. It needs bathrooms within the vicinity. You can't have to have this long walk to go to the bathrooms. That's particularly for older buildings. It needs to have access to a multi-sensory room and an occupational therapy room or a speech and language therapy room. It needs its own resource room, so for storage, because you need a lot of equipment. Now, I have been that soldier, and this is why I'm telling you to do this. I, I, I had a, a, a case where we had four years of an inappropriate setting. Now, the reason we had four years of an inappropriate setting and then something happened was because we had to move buildings. We were in a temporary building for uh, for the first four, uh, four years of our lives and uh, maybe it was the first five years of our lives and then we moved to an appropriate building and part of that uh, part of that new build was a proper uh, uh, proper classes for children with autism. Now, I'm not saying my four years uh, was a complete disaster, 
but I was only one year away from a complete disaster because I was running out of rooms in, in my case. Um, that aside though, once we moved into our proper facilities, we really wondered how on earth we'd actually managed for the last four years. And I have to say fair play to the staff that I had in there. I mean, it's bad as enough uh, as it might have been for me um, uh, having to manage uh, the, the place. The staff had to work on that in a in totally inappropriate setting for four years. Now let's say you do get a proper facility. Let's move on. And let's say you do get a proper facility. You also get some money to help set it up. Even if you have an inappropriate facility, you get some money to set it up. You get 6,000 euro plus 635 euro per room uh, to get set up. So basically 6,000 euro initial grant. And then for every classroom you set up, you get another 635, which is a bit strange. You also get 7,000 euro one-off for a multi-sensory room. Now, is this enough? Of course it isn't. 7,000 euro for us stretched as far as two pieces of, of multi-sensory equipment. Multi-sensory room equipment is really expensive. Maybe it's come down in the last 10 years, but certainly I don't, <laughs> we only were able to get two pieces of equipment. Uh, we got a third one uh, for free, um, but that was just lucky. Um, and you, and what we also we got, sorry, that's how, uh, we also bought um, as well. We need to get appropriate flooring because the flooring given with the room isn't appropriate. It's just a regular mar marmoleum floor. But once you get the money, you get nothing else. Once you get it once, there's no more. And all the equipment has to be repaired or serviced at least once a year. And there's no money for that. And similarly, once you get your 6,000 or so, that's all you get. Everything else has to come from the capitation grant. Now, granted, a capitation grant for children in your uh, special classes is more than, uh, than in a regular classroom. But that's not... Uh, that's not to fix things or maintain things. That is uh, to allow for the fact there's only six children in the room and the costs of running a classroom are quite high. So the increased capitation grant is for that. It barely covers the extra activities one needs to do to even have an effective class for children with autism. Anyway, ultimately what I'm saying is before you begin with anything, you need to be prepared that this is going to be a loss-making entity. So as a principle, it is not a self-sustaining entity, a, a, special, a special class for children with autism. You need uh, you need to re realize that you are going to be losing money. So if you're already significantly uh, losing money as a, a in just a mainstream primary school, this is going to cost you some more money. Now I've uh, we'll move on though. Okay, just uh, that's our first little piece. I mentioned an occupational therapy room too, or a speech and language therapy room. Just before before I begin, don't get too excited. Don't get excited at all. You get a room. But you don't get any equipment and worse, you don't get any therapists. The awesome classes have no facilities for occupational therapists, speech and language therapists or any therapists at all. Effectively, in a new uh, build, what you'll get is an empty room, maybe with some soundproofing and a couple of, and maybe a couple of fittings in the roof. If you were to, for example, if you were to buy a swing in the future, which is a couple of grand, by the way, like, a, you know, like I said, the initial investment from the Department of Education is minimal and the first obstacle to come across is the fact that even if you do have a ready-made building, you need to be prepared for it to be loss-making. I'm saying this again, I can't, can't, I can't kind of say it enough. We already know that schools are heavily underfunded, so this is going to be an added pressure for a school and it's going to be a disservice to the children because ultimately, if you don't have any money and you're already losing money, it's very unlikely you're going to be able to get any more. I've, been, I've had our, um, our place open now for uh, for 10 years maybe 11 years this year and we still uh, can't afford basics that we would really really like to have for, for the children we spent we fundraised for years uh, to for a few years to try and get some um, to get some equipment for occupational therapy room um, and that's uh, but 
this this is stuff that we have to do. We have to fundraise this stuff. We couldn't ask the Department of Education to pay for it. Next on our list is staffing. Now, staffing, as I said earlier, uh, seems initially to be quite generous if you think about it. It's never changed since the beginning. It's a three to one, uh, it's basically a two to one ratio, uh, more or less, to, to the children. You have six children, three adults. That's one teacher and two SNAs. Now, that ratio is all very well if you have a class of six pupils with mild, maybe to moderate needs. However, if you have a child with higher needs than that, so maybe severe or profound needs, it's just not going to cut it. In my school, we had a situation a number of years ago where we had a child on the very severe to profound end of the spectrum and he needed two people with him at all times in a separate room, not even in the main in the main classroom because he couldn't cope with that, um, unable to manage or not to manage, as it were. Anyway, long story short, no extra fund, no extra provision was given to us. Uh, we were just told to get on with it. You know, basically that left five pupils with one adult in the other in another room. So the thing is, if one of those five had have had a meltdown, we were scuppered. And naturally, of course this happened. So what can be done about it? Can you put something in your enrollment policy to avoid enrolling children on the more severe end of the spectrum? Of course you can't. That's discrimination. Can you try a whole health and safety thing to stop children um, with in on the severe end of the spectrum coming to school? Well, you can try, but again, it's illegal. It's discriminatory. And the, and the Department of Education don't care. They don't care. What they care about is saying we have autism facilities for X number of children. They don't care uh, how much resources they need to give to those classes as long as it's the same and uh, and, and the children are there. Uh, so basically, the combination of the fact that the facilities aren't appropriate, the services are inadequate, the staffing can be too few, there is nothing a school can do if a child with severe or profound needs enrolls in that special class. And the senior doesn't care. And why would she? Bums on seats, as I said, is all they care about. And perhaps parents won't care either. Don't forget that parents, all parents really want too, not all, but a lot of parents want is that their child is in school. And, someti- and sometimes there are parents who really like the fact that their child is in a school with mainstream, se- uh, that, that, that is a mainstream school with special classes. So they can say, and I'm not saying this is in all cases, in fact, it's in few cases, some parents we've heard, uh, well, I, I have heard uh, are quite happy to say, oh, my child goes to X type X school rather than saying my child goes to X special school because it feels like a stigma. Now, I'm not saying I blame parents. I'm not saying I'm not criticizing parents for that. uh, But these are things that schools uh, have to um, deal with. And uh, and it it can be quite difficult when there's no supports. Look, there's also a small cohort of parents that don't even understand the limitations of mainstream schools with autism classes. Most children with severe and profound uh, needs require a huge amount of um, occupational therapy I suppose as it were like deep massage or deep pressure and many even require restraint uh, if they become violent or you know in general when they become violent and some parents think that SNAs are able to do this sort of thing by default and when they can't parents get disappointed they sometimes get angry and then who is there to support the staff in this regard because the senior will say well they have the resources the department of education will say well we've given them resources but ultimately we know and everybody knows that if you have a child uh, who is unable to cope in a, in a situation where uh, there's a, where you have a, the, this two to one ratio of, uh, of uh, a pupil to teacher, or sorry, t- uh, yeah, pupil to teacher rather than one to two, which is what a child might need. What do you do? What do you do? I suppose it's just, again, something to consider I know, um, when uh, because there isn't really much you can do about it. Anyway, which just brings us back to a point because I didn't mention this um, about SNAs that are able to do this sort of thing. It's about training. 
Now, one would expect that there would be specialised training for teachers and SNAs to work with children in autism-specific classes. Well, the good news is there is some training for teachers. But the bad, things, the bad news is that it isn't tailored to the reality of schools in most cases. And worse news is that the government provides zero training to SNAs. So special needs assistants have to go and pay for their own training to work to do their job and if schools need specific training for their staff they have to pay for it so and one such training is crisis management and every school with uh, autism specific classes needs to have crisis prevention um, interventions because part and parcel of working in a special class is dealing with crises and crises generally are violent crises and you are generally going to be attacked um, by by a child in distress not uh, in, in cases where that's where that's the case now it's rare to have a situation in a class where a child does not um, become violent or have a crisis and unless the school trains its staff in crisis prevention intervention the staff can't do very much you can't touch the child if you haven't been trained uh, appropriately in how to restrain a child who might be attacking you you can't move a child from where they are if they're flopped on the ground or uh, or banging their head on the ground or causing them now you can do it but you're not covered now the training costs upwards of two and a half thousand euro uh, f- uh, per uh, f- uh, for for the for the session and that needs to be done every two to three years and it has to be done outside of school time obviously but there's and there's also no incentive to do it you're kind of um, I mean technically a staff member could actually refuse to do the training if they wished which meant they wouldn't have to do any of the the work and that brings us back to I suppose the point that I uh, that I raised a few weeks ago in a previous episode that schools have total reliance on goodwill now we mentioned that as I said Um, however what sort of training can a teacher get well before they start one would think decent training would be provided you know i mean why 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 should they be looking for it now surely that would have been provided before they became a teacher and of course you won't be surprised to hear that it isn't um you know you don't get any initial teacher training um f- uh, specific to working in special classes um, once they've qualified uh, teachers can do all sorts of one day courses or two day courses on a number of things um but none of them are actually about running an autism specific class because it's very specific um the best way to run an autism specific class and that's the department of education uh believe and i agree with them that this uh, system called teach is the best way to uh best system the best methodology for running an autism specific class um it, it may, many of you wouldn't may not have heard of teach which isn't surprising because it isn't something you would really need to know unless you were running an autism uh, specific class and um, the course is available to teachers but only actually after they've begun teaching in the special class now that's sort of that sentence i know uh, someone might say that's not completely true uh, which is tr- uh, which is fair enough you, there is the ability to do a two day introduction course uh, to teach uh, before you teach in the class but after that the real uh, the real beef of the course actually can only be done when you are in the class it's a five day long uh, course and it generally takes place um, after the Christmas holidays or the winter holidays so this means a new teacher has to pretty much wing it for the first few months of their job in an autism specific class and working with children uh, with autism and winging it is not something that I'd recommend at all oh and you can forget any training if you're an SNA the government doesn't provide it at all if a school wants training for SNAs yes you've guessed it you've guessed it they uh they um they have to pay for it and that isn't to take away from the service that does offer the limited training that does exist uh, to teachers in fairness the SESS does great work with teachers and their courses are generally very good I feel it's worth uh, repeating here that there's no specific qualification for teachers to work in autism specific classes never mind SNAs an SNA needs a junior cert to work in a a special class or to work in their job at all Uh, a teacher doesn't uh, just needs to have a teaching qualification 
That means that the principal uh, that opens a special class for children with autism must realise that they are going to have to rely on the goodwill of their staff to work in these classes despite not having the right or any training. I'd recommend that any principal that wishes to open a special class for autism, they make sure to have a few members of staff ready and willing. Now, they won't be ready, but they may be willing to work in these classes. Now, there's nothing worse than a teacher being forced to work in a class they don't want to teach in. You know that. Like, so you, you tell your, at the end of the year, people are looking for the classes. Uh, teacher said, oh, I'd love to work in junior infants. And you just can't because there's too many people looking to that. So you give them maybe first class. And they're like, oh, I don't really want to teach in that class and so on. But worse is the teacher that's forced to teach in a special class they don't wish to teach in. Teaching in an ASD class is so far removed from teaching in a mainstream setting, it may as well be a completely different job. You you may as well be doing something uh, that isn't called teaching. I mean, it, there's uh, elements that are similar, but it's a very, very different job. So I guess why would you as a principal open a class? Now, there's nearly a thousand of them in the country, which is still not enough by any means. Well, I mean, one reason is goodwill. There's that word again. But there's also the desire for schools to be as inclusive as possible. Now, I won't get into the fact that denominational schools can't be fully inclusive because of their ethos, but Given that we ignore that fact, can we say that a school is fully inclusive if they do not have specific classes for children with autism? Now, many principals would argue rightly that they can't. You can't be inclusive if you're not if there's some a service that's available to you and is in demand, and you're not and you're refusing to provide it. As well as that, it's also an ethical thing to do. Moralistically, it's a good thing to do, and more importantly, there's the benefits. Now, they may be subtle in some ways, and um, sometimes not, but they're very, very powerful. Now, if a school has a well-run special class for children with autism, there should be a lot of integration and reverse integration happening. Integration is when a child from a special class goes into their uh, age-appropriate mainstream equivalent. And reverse integration is when children from the mainstream class integrate within the uh, special class. So that's uh, reverse integration and integration. Now, this means that children in mainstream classes get to learn about difference and acceptance and empathy and friendship. And what do you know? Children with autism as well. This isn't just for the benefit of the children in the mainstream classes. Children in the special class for children with autism get to learn about difference and acceptance and empathy and friendship. They get to learn that just because somebody has different needs, for example, um, if their classmate can't speak or needs to wear nappies or shouts out random words or can hit out and be violent, it doesn't mean they can't be friends. I have seen this firsthand over the last 10 years at every single level. There's no greater pleasure for me than when I'm showing someone around and we see stu- a student in the special class playing with his peers in a mainstream class and the guest is not batting an eyelid. I think that's a great feeling because it shows it's working. It shows it's natural. I, I'm not looking for um, children to be kind of minding um, children with autism. I want them to be. I, I'm what the great pleasure is just the natural friendships that develop. There's no greater pleasure for me than hearing a young pupil explaining to me that his classmate sometimes needs to shout, and that's okay. So again, the natural sort of uh, thing again, just explain. I, I like that when I visit a classroom and particularly a junior and said, oh, don't worry about and uh, this child X. We'll call him. I, I won't call I won't say a name just in case I ever have a child with autism that has that name and they might think I'm talking about him. But isn't it lovely that 
they're, they're creating uh, there's empathy there as well and there's no greater pleasure for me to see a group of children working in special classes with some pupils on a, with, uh, with some of the pupils on a project and just getting on with it and again not just minding the children not tokenistically doing it there's no need for sympathy and, or being a do-gooder or whatever it is it's just a natural acceptance because that's just the way it is and why wouldn't it be and why shouldn't it be we had a situation one year where a child was ve- I was actually very aware of his autism and he decided he would own his autism I suppose um, and the child had a number of difficulties in terms of controlling his behaviours and uh, found it really hard in, in certain circumstances to I suppose hold it together in, in, in difficult situations and I remember he really wanted to explain that fact to his classmates because it was it was starting to cause conflicts for him and I remember him giving a talk to his classmates about having autism and I remember him graduating from school and I remember that his classmates gave him as big a cheer as any of the others in the class not out of sympathy not out of tokenism because they loved him autism and all so what I'm trying to say is that although there's a huge amount of hardship, hard work, frustration, poor funding, poor resourcing and everything else, the positives are huge. However, and I have to say however, it's only going to work if the foundations are right. The law of unintended consequences might be appropriate in an example of some schools that open ASD classes when they don't get the foundations right. There is a rule that if you, there's a rule, a little known rule, maybe it's a well-known rule, that if you have four or five classroom school, a principal, a teaching principal can become an administrative principal if the school opens up special classes. Now, given the fact that the teaching principal position is an impossible one that I would argue shouldn't exist, and I'll be doing an episode about that, it's very tempting for a principal of a smaller school to open two ASD classes to become an administrative principal. While in some cases this might work, there's a problem there really and it, it, sometimes it doesn't and there's a number of reasons for this. First of all, it's the building which we've gone into earlier. I mean, it's unlikely that, um, that it's unlikely because someone's in such a rush to become administrative they're going to worry about anything, particularly the building. So you're going to have a problem there. Then there's the, pro- then there's the problem of the potential goodwill of teachers. Now, many country schools have no experience of working with pupils with additional needs, especially in areas close to towns where white flight is kind of the de rigueur, you know, so you, you, you all know what I'm talking about. You know, the schools that are just on the outskirts, they were about 20 years ago, really tiny schools. Now they're, now they're, they're a lot bigger because the white kids from the town moved out when, uh, when, when multiculturalism hit Ireland. We, you know, look, uh, there's no point denying it. Really. I think we mentioned the episode of this during the good school episode, episode four. Anyway, moving from a situation of having little to no additional needs to a situation where 20% of your pupils are going to have autism across a wide spectrum can be very, very challenging for teachers, especially when they're not used to dealing with difference. Now, there's also the possibility that there could be some bitterness towards a principal that is not opening the classes for the right reasons. Well, to them, I mean, it might be the right reasons to the principal. And while the temptation to be an admin principal is often irresistible, the unintended consequence is that the ASD classes require a huge amount of time and resourcing, as I've explained before, and it's not forthcoming any of the any of the help. It's no surprise that a lot of towns have very, very few ASD classes, but their smaller school in the schools in the hinterlands do. If you check out your own area, have a thank, have a look and see where the ASD classes are. There's not a criticism of principals. I actually can't blame them for doing whatever they can do to no longer become, uh, to no longer have to be teaching principals. But there are the, the unintended consequences of that. And speaking of principals, another thing you'll have to do if you are one, if you are one, is to uh, adapt your enrollment policy to include places in your special classes. Now, if you're in the middle of uh, doing this and you're stuck, so you've, you've decided to open your, um, your classes 
and you don't have a policy and you're trying to find one first of all can I just say you're more than welcome to rob the one from my school's website um, we put all our policies all our uh, all that sort of stuff up on our school website so you fr- feel free to take it and adapt it in whatever way however different schools will have different ways of deciding who enrolls and this is to do with admissions. Um, the thing is, you're going to be inundated with enrolment forms due to the huge shortage of places. That's a fact. In fact, every parent will have put their names down, will have put their child's name down in every single school with a special class within their own travel distance. So just because they have your name in your school, it doesn't mean they're the only school. In fact, they probably put their, na- their child's name down in about five or six or seven, maybe 20 different schools. And this means you are going to have to make some decisions about who you prioritise. For example, who are you going to who are you going to prioritise who's number one on your list who's number two who's number three uh, and how do you work that out in my school we we work on a first come first serve basis um, but most schools I know um, outside of uh, uh, Educate Together don't have that sort of thing so um, let's see we go with um, you might prioritise by catchment area Um, could you do that will you have a siblings rule will you have to use discriminatory criteria such as gender or religion Will you dare prioritise by diagnosis? That's illegal. Don't do it. Another thing is not prioritise um, current enrolments. So um, like this is a bit of advice. Don't prioritise children who are already in your mainstream classes. That's what I'm trying to say. So when I say another thing is not to prioritise current enrolments, that means don't uh, say that if you're in our mainstream class you'll have first dibs on a place if a place comes up what will happen if you do that is you'll get enrollments in your mainstream class in order to jump the queue so um, basically a child who should be in a special class might enroll in your school and then uh, the following year might uh, might try and jump the queue to enroll into your special class uh, and what you might find is you'll have a lot of children doing that so you'll actually um, upset the balance of uh, um, in, in, in a mainstream classroom you'll also have to decide whether you allow the and when you open your uh, for enrollments, when you actually open for the enrollments, and when you close uh, your enrollments, so there's a lot of things to consider because you see these things are really really important. I mean, because many of you who might work in Catholic schools won't realise this, but when your options are extremely limited, so I mean, people who are in Catholic schools won't realise this because you aren't limited. Um, but when your options are extremely limited, you will do anything to get your kid into the school of your choice. You will do anything. So when it comes to special classes, this is very, very much the case, no matter who is running those classes. Now, if you are uh, somebody who has a child who wants to go into a special class for children with autism and you don't want a religious run school, you're you are really, really in bi- uh, in a bit of trouble there. Um, but anyway, that 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 aside, let's stick to the uh, stick to the main script here of uh, just trying to get into any special class. If there is even a seed of a chance that your enrollment policy for your special class isn't watertight, you will find yourself in big trouble. And that's not because parents are being mean. It's not because parents are being um, are being rude uh, or being problematic anyway. It's because they are desperate to get their child into a special class for children with autism and there are not enough places in the in their in the in anywhere in the country then there's staffing now i've mentioned staff before um but i want to go into more detail if you don't have anyone willing to work in your uh, special class for children with autism that is another big problem now it shouldn't be the case um but there are nowhere near enough suitably qualified teachers out there and again one is going to rely on goodwill of teachers to fill the void now i know one school where um where the asd classes are actually were used as a threat so if you annoyed the principal or felt foul of the regime let's say 
you are going to be given that class. Now, that's obviously very wrong. But the point is that no one who isn't suitably qualified should work in one of these classes. I mean, that's the thing. There should be a load of teachers out there qualified to work specifically in special classes for children with autism. Um, and that's... Um, and that's not happened. And I, I'll come back to the very briefly uh, later on. I think uh, I think that's it, it's a very important point. I want to touch on something else, though, that's happening uh, that I mentioned earlier. And it's a rule that came through in the admissions bill to allow the NCSE through the CNO to force a school to open a special class for children with autism. Now, I don't see how this is useful. Yes, it might mean that there'll be bums on seats, but what kind of seats might they be? The government don't care, as we know. And this is a totally reactive measure to a problem the NCSE have known about for years. The issue of special classes hasn't just come as a surprise. Now, there's a huge shortage of places, as I've just mentioned. Um, and the NCSE knew this, they know this, and they've continued to make Op uh, they've continued to open special classes without the right resourcing. And they've been so busy uh, cutting supports and creating as much red tape as possible to even get into these classes. For example, you used to just need a diagnosis of autism to get into the classes. Now you need a specific recommendation and reasons as to why you should enrol in these uh, classes before you even get in. So, look, really, the NCSE really, really annoy me. They really annoy me when it comes to this. They're the ones that have really dropped the ball here. Schools haven't. They're the ones um, who really should have been putting in the stops to ensure schools want to open special classes. Why do schools not want to open special classes? Well, I've gone through the reasons why schools might not want to open classes, but what have the NCSE been doing to help schools want to open them in the first place? They've been around all the schools looking for principals to open the classes, and they've heard the reasons why they're not doing them. It's always either lack of suitable accommodation or lack of appropriate resources. There are zero specially qualified teachers in the system. This should have happened over a decade ago, maybe two decades ago. There is zero finance put into these classes to maintain the rooms and equipment. There are zero incentives for the reluctant schools to open special classes. So if I were the Minister for Education, that is exactly what I do. I would support schools properly. So what does that mean? What does it even mean? Well, I'll tell you. To me anyway, it means giving them what they need. It doesn't mean just giving them uh, a building with uh, just building a building with suitable accommodation. It means maintaining it properly afterwards. It means making sure that the staff in the special classes are all trained properly, not just the teachers, but also the SNAs. It means giving schools properly resourced multi-sensory rooms and occupational therapy rooms, not just one or two bits to get them started. And it means making sure that they're all maintained. It also means making sure that, they are the, that they are, there are the required professionals working in the specialist rooms. It also means ensuring that there are OTs and SLTs, dietitians, nurses available to do their work in these rooms and ensuring that all the children in the school are able to avail of these services. It doesn't mean telling SNAs that they're going to be fulfilling the work of OTs and SLTs like they're planning to do so to save a few quid. Look, despite all of this, like I said, one of the best decisions I made as a principal was to open our special class for children with autism. In hindsight, I maybe I shouldn't have done it as soon as I did, but it did give me the chance to make all the mistakes I had to make before we developed as a school. We were very, very young. We were school was only two years old when we opened. However, what really would have helped me was suitably qualified staff who knew what they were doing. I'm not saying the staff that did do it didn't know what they were doing. Well, I, they didn't know what they were doing, but I'm not saying they did a bad job. They did brilliantly, considering they didn't really know what they were doing. I, and I, I, I want to say that because I don't mean to, I'm not saying that as a negative thing on the actual people there. They hadn't got the, the, the suitable qualifications in order to set up a special class for children with autism. I would have loved 
somebody to help me through the first couple of years in order to get system set up someone who'd already done it and maybe was able to mentor uh, us as a school what would not have been a good idea i would have loved to have been able to offer proper services to the children in my school occupational therapy uh, sensory input uh, dietitian uh, sort of stuff um speech and language therapy and i still wish i could because we can't i would love to be able to cater properly for the pupils needs this is something that needs to come from the department of education and instead of cutting resources every year and pretending not to do so and allowing these groups like as i am lambast principals for not opening the classes in the first places they need to step up and provide the service properly now if i were the minister for education that's exactly what i'd be doing and i would have started it over a decade ago Next week, we're sticking with special educational needs. Given the news that two families uh, just won a case against the government because their children were not allowed to take part in the July programme due to the fact they didn't either have a diagnosis of autism or severe profound learning difficulties, we're going to look at the breakdown of special classes for different diagnoses and try to figure out why some additional needs are more equal than others. I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune in every Wednesday morning just in time for your midweek slump. It's almost sure to get your blood boiling whether you agree with my opinions or not. The podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify or any other podcasting app by searching for either onshaw.net or if I was the Minister for Education. I'd really, really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so that each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. Please, I would really appreciate it if you reviewed the podcast so others could find it more easily. Okay, that is it for me for this week. We'll see you next week for another episode around special education needs. Uh, Until then, we'll see you then. Take care. Bye-bye.